Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever, actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple pencil with it, I have been doing that on there and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those NanoDots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook... Here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper like, and I'm sure it's it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use, and paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better... This is how you do it. So, to pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, to get started. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? That's what Rocket Ajax to bring back his body. Hello everybody and welcome to War Rocket Ajax. This is the Internet's Most Destructive Conflict and Pop Culture Podcast, and we are your hosts. My name is Chris Sims, and I got a little bit of a crud. I got a little bit of that con crud in me. And with me, as always, is Mr. Matt Wilson. Matt, are you, are you cruddy? Or are you good? I'm hailing hardy. I wasn't on a fucking boat. 
I'm okay. <laughs> Don't make me laugh. I sound like a nightmare creature when I laugh. <laughs> I'll do my best to be dour and serious throughout this whole episode. Please. Chris is back, everybody. I'm You're back. I'm psyched to hear about what occurred on the Fantasy Cruise. We have a fun show for everybody this week. Since we haven't done any so far in calendar 2017, we're going to do some panel president lists for everybody. Because one of the reasons we wanted to continue that particular project was that we got a lot of lists that we weren't able to get to in 2016, and we wanted to be able to get to more of those. So uh, we're going to try to do some lists during our interview segment. I think we can accomplish doing some lists. But but, uh, before we get to that, Chris... Let's take care of some business, starting with thanking our newest supporters on Patreon. That's right, Matt. I'm so tired. But the only thing that's keeping me awake and keeping me going in this trying time right now are the people who have gone to patreon.com slash Ajax, and they've chipped in as little as a dollar every month to help us keep going, help us keep the lights on and pay those gimmicks they keep sending in the mail called bills. And right now, they are so close, Matt, so close to helping us launch... The third podcast on the Clytus Media Network, my, my fifth podcast that I that I regularly do, Snack Situation Monthly, devoted solely to you and I eating snacks. It will be better than it sounds. Yes, I don't think Snack Situation is going to be a new podcast with new art. It's just going to go out on the Movie Fighters feed, but it will be a sub-podcast to Movie Fighters. Here are the people who are helping make Snack Situation specials happen. James Rosario. Thank you, James. Alexandra Anthony. Oh, thank you, Alexandra. Peter O'Connor. Thank you, Peter. Marty Allen. Marty Allen. Thanks. Josh Upson. Josh, what's Upson? I'm sorry, I'm sure you get that like all the time and it's really horrible for you. Josh, thank you so much. We appreciate your money every month. Preston, Doe, or Do, I'm not sure which. Preston, you are fantastic for supporting the show. Tim Stevens. Oh, thank you, Tim. And Matthew Orr. Thank you, Matthew. That's your name. It is my name. My full name. I don't go by it, but some people still call me it. If you are a Patreon supporter, you get ad-free episodes of the show, backer-exclusive art, uh, if you're at certain levels, you can get bonus audio, which we're going to be putting up some very soon this week. Um, you get physical rewards, which I need to send out more of very soon, including T-shirts, keychains, stickers, and uh, line-stepping privileges for all our end-of-the-show games, uh, which this episode is dedicated to. So if any of that sounds cool to you, head over to patreon.com slash and kick in a few bucks. If you do, it will be a big help to us. All right, Chris. It's time for Checks and Rucks. Let's do it. I am ready. I want to hear some highlights from the Fantasy Cruise. I'll, I'll tell you this right now. I have no wreck this week. I am, I am allowing all of my time to talk about the Fantasy Cruise. Okay. I'll, I'll say up front, I was uh, compensated for my appearance on the cruise. They, they paid my way out. And that was super awesome. Just a, a quick disclosure for everybody. I think what people really need to know before we get into this is that you and I had a conversation, uh, completely off mic, 
Uh, it was after we recorded the last Ajax before I went on the cruise. So I guess that would have been 336. We spent a good 45 minutes looking at the deck plans, looking at the menus, with me, like, wearing you down on the idea of you going on the cruise if they have this again. Yes. And at the end of the day, at the end of that conversation, the thing that you said was that uh, you would consider going if I came back and you wanted, like, a 100% positive experience. But I, I think the, I talked you down into just into just getting a recommendation to do it. The the two things that I said you had to come back and say, and I said this on last week's show with uh-huh. Matt Fisher. Number one was mm-hmm. you had a great time, and you can't wait to go back. Number two was you had to think that I would like it. See, number two is a tricky one. <laughs> number two is a really tricky one. As discussed previously on the show, you don't like anything. <laughs> That is not true. That is slander. You like Marlene, Ice Coffee, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> These are uh, those are all true facts. Yes, and, and Spider Man is number four. Those are the things I have seen you get excited about with my own two eyes. <laughs> I had a great time on the Fantasy Cruise. I really did. And, and you I can't wish... wait to go back. I absolutely will go back. I think I need some time to recover from the okay. con. Okay. Uh, like uh, that's, if, that's, true of, that's true of any comic convention. So I'll, That's true I'll, of any convention. You know, Heroes Con, by the end of it, I'm like ready for it to be over, and I love Heroes Con. Like, Emerald's, like Emerald City and New York are both shows I've enjoyed doing, but they're like really overwhelming. Fantasy is a completely different beast. It is the weirdest convention I've ever done in my life. I started going to conventions working retail in, like, 2004. So in 13 years of going to conventions, this is the weirdest one I've done. And I, I think I've kind of figured out what it was on, on the last day. It's that it's a convention where there are zero barriers between creator, fan, and civilian. The cruise was sold out. Uh, I believe the, the total number of people was was 2,100 passengers on the Brilliance of the Seas. They said around 500 were there, like, specifically for fantasy. Which, on the one hand, is, like, really great, because there was a really fantastic, like, creator-to-attendee ratio if you only count, like, like even if you count just the 2,100, it was pretty good. But, you know, I'm there with, with Scott Snyder was there, who I hung out with a lot. Uh, uh, Dave Johnson was on the ship. Like, even getting past, like, the media guests uh, and Frank Miller, who I, I don't believe was on for the entirety of the cruise. Like, there were a lot of really good comics creators that you you would would be able to, to see and talk to. And the thing when I say that there's no barriers is that when you go to a normal comic convention, you have the convention floor... And then you have, like, the, the after-con events, and then you have, like, you know, hotel bar parties, stuff like that. Like, like you, you, you know how Heroes Con set up, obviously. Heroes Con, I, I, I like to think of as a pretty, like, tight location con. Like, there's the convention floor, right across the street is the West End, which is where most everybody stays, and at the West End bar is where most everybody hangs out. And so you see the same people over the course of the weekend on the floor, at the hotel, at the nearby restaurants... But with fantasy, 
everything's happening on a boat. Everything's happening on a ship. And so you're not just seeing people on the convention floor. Because the convention floor doesn't really exist as we know it. And you're not just seeing people at the events. You're seeing people everywhere. Because you're all having breakfast in the same room. You're all having dinner in the same room. You're like passing each other in the hallways. You're seeing each other at the pool. And, And I will say, I did not have like a bad encounter the whole time. Like, I would see people and thank people for coming out to the the panels that I was running. I would see people and, and catch up to see what they had been doing. Like, I thought it was actually kind of cool. If you're the kind of person who, like, needs that hard division of, I, I did the con activity and then I, I left the con, that's not something you can do. When it's uh, fantasy, you can obviously go back to your stateroom and lock the door and, and get room service, uh, and and that's you know you can isolate yourself that way. But generally speaking, if you're out and about doing anything, you're gonna be like mingling a lot, which in practice this time at least for me worked out pretty well. There's no convention floor. There's an artist alley, and the way they did artist alley on the fantasy cruise, there, there's the Starquest Disco which was up at the top of the ship. It's space-themed. It's a space-themed dance club with a rotating bar, which is amazing, and a big dance floor. And so in the mornings, afternoons, and evenings, like before they would open it up for like people to come and dance and have a good time, like they had a like an 80s party like where people were encouraged to dress up. Like they had like six six or eight tables set up and they would just bring in people for 3-hour shifts. So the con floor would just be like, you know, you would go up at at noon, and it would be me and Tim Sale and Clayton Henry and Mark Brooks and, and Art Adams. And then you would come up at, like, six, and there would be a whole other group of people. There'd be Gail Simone and Scott Snyder and Dave Johnson and other people. And that's really interesting because it was a con, and it felt like a con, and it felt like very much like there was con stuff going on. But I wasn't tied to a table except for three hours of the sh- of the entire four-day weekend. And I sold out in an hour. I brought, like, ten books, and I sold them in an hour, which has never happened. Like, <laughs> we have never, Chad and I have never sold out in the first hour of a show. The cooler thing was that, like, all the events were set up so that you would, rather than being tied to a table or tied to a location or even, like, kind of stuck in a line, you would constantly be moving to a different area of the ship. They have a theater like, a giant theater where they put on, like, musicals. They would have, like, the Deadpool panel that I was on with uh, Gail Simone and, and Riley Brown and Scott Koblish. And then you would go to, like, the English pub, and I did, like, a trivia night. So there's so much on the ship that even though it's a tight, uh, con, you know, condensed, confined area, that it felt like there was always something new and interesting to see in a way that, like... You didn't feel bad for being away from your table. I had a, a a really great time. I wish you would have been there. I don't know if you would like it. I would love to do it with you. I would love. I would love for you to be on the ship. It, here we've answered the "you loved it and you want to return" question. Yes. Yeah. I I had a I had a great time. I thought it was a, a fun and well run show. Uh, I met a lot of really cool people that we'll be talking about in the bonus content. Uh, but yeah, I, I had a blast, and I will, if they if they do Too Fan to See, which is what I've been calling the second one, I will absolutely go. Like, I, okay. I would love to. Okay, here's the deal on, on the bonus content. 
the question that the bonus content is going to answer or the, the point that the bonus content is going to address is that you think I would like it. I have questions. I'm going to save those questions for the bonus content. Okay. Uh, I would like you to answer those questions. A lot of what you just talked about raised some questions for me. Uh, okay. I also have other questions. And we could just talk generally about what else you did on the boat. And then we can decide if we are invited, uh, whether we will, as a Warrocket Ajax team, attend fan to, to Fantusi. Yes. I'm going to quickly run through my check and wreck. My check is that I started listening to the Adventure Zone. Oh, buddy. Now, Do we have some stuff to talk about? Now, this is those this is those McElroy boys that we have talked about a lot increasingly on the show lately. It's their uh, actual play D&D podcast. I have been enjoying it. I am to the point where, like, the first story was pretty good. It was pretty fun. Then the second story, which I am on now, I think I'm on episode 14 or 15, the second story is a is a murder mystery, a locked room murder mystery on a train. Yes. So I was sold <laughs> as soon as that happened. Uh, that's great. But I do have two observations about the show. Okay. The first is that it is weird that the three McElroy sons who were on it, Griffin, Justin, and Travis – cuss in front of their dad who was also on the show that's that's weird to me like every time they cuss and their dad is there i'm like no don't cuss in front of your dad that's weird their dad uh, is so it does not fit into my mental dad box <laughs> he does not go in the dad box he is everything that is not dad to me because their dad is this nerdy you know sci-fi movie fan guy who is everything my dad was not. That stuff is very, not off-putting, it just, it's just weird to me. I, it took some getting used to. Uh, there's a part later on, um, it happens a couple times, but there's a part later on where, where like, they are, they are perfectly content to, like, cuss in front of their dad, which I also think is weird. But, that, like, there will be parts where their dad, like, where Clint makes some crude jokes, and they, they are very upset by that. Like, even the most mildly, like, crude joke... Yeah, like Griffin will say something like, "I'm in hell. I'm in hell now." I, I've I've already run into a couple of those. My favorite moment with their dad, though, had to be when they started talking about drugs, and then they quickly had to be like, "But we haven't done the drugs. Yes. We read about those in a book," <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. The other observation I have about the show is that typically my experience with the McElroys has been highly Griffin based. I've been into those Griffin goofers. Uh-huh. Griffin is the dungeon master on this show. So he's he's by by virtue of the fact that he's trying to keep the story moving and has to give a lot of exposition and stuff. He's the straight man. Even when he's doing voices and and kind of making the story funny, he's the straight man and Justin, Travis and Clint are are the the goofs. And as a result of that, Justin McElroy comes out out of this show as the shining star. Rocketed, rocketed to second favorite McElroy for me. Well, he's he's you know it's Griffin and Justin on on Monster on Factory. Monster Factory, yeah. But Griffin is so aggressively <laughs> making shit happen on Monster Factory that Justin's just kind of there to to laugh more than anything, right? 
Justin on the Adventure Zone is the the driving force of comedy. Like his character Taco is the most realized and funniest character. Not that Clint and Travis are bad, but Justin just like st- he steps up every time. You you absolutely are going to be getting like like where you are now is kind of clear that they like didn't know they were going to end up doing this for like two and a half years. So Magnus and Merle get to be, like, really, really good characters, but, like, Taco is there from day one as, yeah. like, a really fantastic character. And he, like, from the get-go, he named his character Taco. Justin has it. It is, oh, one other observation. Justin, it took me forever to be able to tell the difference between Justin and Travis's voices. I don't know if that's a problem on my brother, my brother, and me, but they sound so similar. <laughs> It took yeah. It took me. I, there was a you know. Aiden's been a long time Mabim Bam listener, and so like, it took me like a good long trip through the Adventure Zone to be like, okay, so so Travis is Magnus, and then Justin does the funny voice. Is that right? But but you know, now I'm all caught up, so I can fall apart. No spoilers. But if you if you are are listening to it being like oh you know Griff, Griffin's the straight man I, I wonder if that'll ever change when you get to the current arc that is happening right now there's a like it is extremely Griffin based okay good to know my recommendation is a game that I feel like has not been necessarily it hasn't necessarily gotten a ton of love. Uh, from folks, but I've had a, I've had a good time playing it, and that is Super Mario Run. I had the free version on my phone for quite a while, and just never downloaded the full version because I was like ten dollars. I don't know. Then, as a very late Christmas present, uh, a friend of mine. Because we all exchanged Christmas presents late because we just didn't see each other in time. A friend of mine gave me an iTunes gift card. And I was just like, okay, I'll buy Super Mario Run with this. So I bought the full version of Super Mario Run. And it is a very effective, very fun time waster on your phone. Like, phone-based Mario game. Uh, If you don't know the concept of Super Mario Run, unlike other Mario games, you don't use a control pad to move. Mario just runs on the screen, and you just tap the screen for him to jump at the appropriate time. You can get other characters by doing challenges against other players' times on different courses. Uh, You can get Luigi, you can get uh, Yoshi, you can get two different kinds of Toad, and uh, you can get Peach, all of whom have their own strengths and uses in the game the challenge stuff is pretty fun you can build a mushroom kingdom by uh, accumulating coins and then the actual the the campaign you might call it uh is pretty fun too there's a good variety of different things uh you know cave levels levels outdoors castles those levels in the sky with the big Mush or toadstools or mushrooms, airship levels. There's all that stuff. Oh, ghost houses. Like all that stuff is in there, and it's a pretty well designed game. Um, and you are given a reason to replay those levels because each level has three different sets of multicolored coins that you collect uh, each time you play through. Um, uh, three sets of five coins each. 
Um, and by the time you get to the third set, which is the black coins, they are placed in such a way that they are pretty difficult to be able to reach. So there's a, a nice little difficulty boost as you play through too. I don't know how much longer I'm going to want to play it. I've been playing it for just about a week, not quite a week, and I maybe have exhausted it. So if that's worth ten bucks to you, uh, then then give it a shot. I, it's been it was something to spend an iTunes gift card on, and I'm glad I did. It's uh, it I definitely got that much enjoyment out of it. Those are checks and wrecks. Let's talk about some of the comics that came out this week. Let's start things off by talking about Detective Comics number 949. This is the second part of a two-part story leading into number 950. Actually, leading into the new Batwoman series is what it is. Batwoman Begins, I believe. Batwoman Begins, uh, part two of two, with art by Ben Oliver, who does amazing art in this uh, two-part story. There are a couple pages where the art is by somebody else. Not sure why those pages are by a different artist, but uh, the the Ben Oliver art is stunning and and great looking, uh, and it's written by James Tynion, who has been doing Detective Comics uh, since Rebirth, and also Marguerite Bennett, who's going to be taking over the new Batwoman series, and it does a really nice job of tying into what's been happening in Detective up to now, and launching the new Batwoman series, like giving enough runway for the new Batwoman series to really hit the ground running. I have really liked it because there's so much in the early arcs of, of this detective comics run about Batwoman's dad, Jacob Kane, not necessarily being a bad guy, but having very different ends and very different means than Batman and his team. Uh, than the detective comics crew. And this is about uh, Jacob Kane's main lieutenant, you might say, showing up to break him out of being imprisoned in in the Watchtower. Maybe with Jacob not even wanting that to happen. Um, but the, it gets into the history of Batwoman and this lieutenant guy, Batwoman and her dad, Batwoman and Batman, how that's all coming to a head now, um, you know, how... All this stuff sort of came together with the the colony stuff happening and the first arc from this Detective Comics run. It just ties a lot of stuff together in a really interesting way and does what I think is the hallmark of great comics runs where the, the new story is something new, but it builds off of the stories that came before. It's not just like, a, okay, well, here's the new story. It's... All right, all that stuff happened, which leads to this. It, it feeds off of what came before in a really great, uh, really interesting way. And adds in these new elements that are going to be in this new Batwoman book. And it all just feels really organic and smooth. I've been loving this Detective Comics run throughout. I'm, I've fallen a little bit behind on Detective, uh, just owing to the fact that, you know... It's bi-weekly, and so sometimes it can be a little difficult to catch up, but I definitely want to make a point of sitting down and, and catching up on the Batwoman Begins arc before Batwoman starts, because I'm pretty sure that book's going to be awesome. And the stuff with Jacob Kane has been so good when that book launched, so I'm very, very excited about it. Yeah, I, I can't say anything but good things about this arc and Detective Comics in general, and what I hope for from the new Batwoman series. Positive 
if if you can pick up just that two part arc. I, I said it feeds off of the previous arc a lot, but I don't think there's any major requirement to have read it. As long as you know kind of the the bare bones backstory, it shouldn't be that hard to follow if you just pick up that two two issue arc of nine forty eight and nine forty nine. All right, Chris, uh, a book that you wanted to talk about real quick is Commandy Challenge Number 1, which I uh, wanted to read and will read, but have not yet picked up, so I would like to hear what you thought about it. Hey, Matt, it's pretty weird this comic exists. Yeah, it really is. I, just uh, seeing it on Comixology made me go, huh, that's, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, huh, they, they actually did that. Okay, so for those of you who don't know... This isn't just a Commandy revival, which I feel like you could do a pretty straightforward Commandy revival and have it be, like, you know, there's no reason not to, right? Like, I've talked before about how it's super accessible. It's one of Kirby's best creations. And, like, if you're going to do it, the time is now. I mean, actually, the time is probably, like, 2014. But instead, they decided to revive, and I think you kind of have to give credit to Dan DiDio on this. Because as far as I know, he's the driving force behind the project. Uh, They decided to revive it and also at the same time revive a very obscure book from the 80s called the DC Challenge. Which was essentially like, you know, an exquisite corpse game. Where there was a mystery, but no one knew who, who... uh, how to solve the mystery, not even the creators, because everybody would switch off at the end of, of each issue and, and give it to a new team. So basically what we have is a commandy story where they took the map of Earth after disaster, Earth AD, that Kirby drew in commandy, and divided it up, and every team in this 12-issue series gets one area of the map to tell their story in. And so they kind of... You know, each issue ends in a cliffhanger. It moves around the Commandy world, and it's this big reintroduction for Commandy that's in the weirdest way possible. And it kind of rules. It kind of rules super hard. Uh, It opens with a story by Dio and Keith Giffen. And uh, I think you and I have had our our differences with Dan Dio's editorial style over the past decade or so, Matt. But also, like, we tend to really like when he does Kirby stuff with Keith Keith Giffen as a writer. Like, we really liked Omak from the New 52. Like, the Forever People series that he did was really interesting. So, he does the setup for for Commandy, where, like, he has... Uh, Commandian kind of like a like a virtual world like like that one level from Fallout Three, uh, and then that all collapses and then Commandy is taken out. It's actually super Fallout Three because he's sent to go find his parents. Like that's the hook. Uh, and then it's Dan Abnett and Dale Eaglesham doing a big story with Commandy uh, trapped in the the Tiger Kingdom. And it's super fun. It's super exciting. There's like a lot of really good stuff. There's uh, cliffhangers at the end of everything. Like I, I think I don't think we're gonna get two in every chapter forever. Like I think it's just for the first one. There's a really exciting cliffhanger at the end of here, and they they really embrace it. It's a spoiler warning, but the end of the issue is that the the tigers have recovered this nuclear missile, this nuclear warhead, and they don't know what it is, and so they activate it. And there's a countdown because it's you know. It's an ICBM that's displaying a countdown on a screen so that everybody can see it. And Commandy's like, it's going to blow up the whole city! And then you get this next issue blurb that's like, to be continued next issue, if it can! 
And I was like, yes, this is what I want. This is what I am here for. So as weird as the Commandy Challenge is in concept, I think that's actually turning out to be what this book might need to be really fun. Uh, and it's it's clear that this is a book that they have decided can be fun and weird and offbeat and Kirby and be like a weird celebration of Kirby in an unusual sort of way. And it's a very, very exciting kind of thing. You should absolutely read it, Matt, because the Commandy Challenge is a ton of fun. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even know about that, that kind of high-concept, exquisite corpse thing, but that makes it even more compelling. I, that makes me definitely want to check it out all the more. One last comic that I'm going to talk about is Loose Ends number one uh, from Image Comics, written by Jason Latour with art by Chris Brunner and colors by Rico Renzi. There's, a, there's an essay in the back of this comic where Jason Latour explains the concept, where it came from, and how long he's been writing this comic. And he says it has been six years in the making, pounding his head against the wall, trying to figure out how this story goes and you know how, what what this comic is uh it is described on the cover as a southern gothic crime romance and that is definitely what it is it is also very almost withholding in giving the reader information about the characters, about what's happening, about their relationships with each other. There's a lot that's left up to the reader to figure out, like how these different characters relate to each other, why they're in... There are different characters in different places. There's a a group of characters in this kind of like diner-slash-bar that seems to be somewhere in western North Carolina because one of the first things we see is a character holding a map that includes Asheville, where I live now, Shelby, where I grew up, and uh, all the surrounding towns, like Kayser and Boiling Springs, to the point where I had to tweet at Jason Latour and Rico Renzi about Kayser and Boiling Springs finally being in print where they deserve to be. That's almost kind of like a, almost like a soap opera drama kind of thing, where all these characters have existing relationships, but they're unspoken, and you're having to try to figure out uh, what these relationships are ships are. Then there's another story going on that's happening in Atlanta uh, because in the background of a shot where a car crash happens is the Vortex, which if you've ever been to Little Five Points in Atlanta, you know is a burger joint there. And that was also weird to see, like another full thing in a comic where I was like, I've been there. So that happens at the Vortex in Atlanta. uh, And that's more of like a, a straight up crime, drug dealing kind of story happening concurrently. Um, I think Loose Ends is a very appropriate title for the book because a lot of characters seem to be wrapping up loose ends in their lives and there's a lot of storytelling loose ends that the reader has to tie together and that I assume will be becoming clearer in future issues. If it seems like I'm talking about the book a little vaguely, it's because the book itself is kind of vague and that is what is intriguing and eye-catching about it. Honestly, uh, also the art is stunning. Uh, Chris Brunner and Rico Renzi do, and just a great job of realizing these characters that we don't get a ton about in the dialogue. And it seems very intentional uh, on Jason Latour's part to kind of just throw you into the mix of what's of these characters' lives uh, at a particular moment. I'm hooked. 
on the rest of the series, on the rest of the miniseries, I think it's four issues. If the that map of places where I grew up it wasn't enough, just the story itself and, and sort of the what's really going on here feeling of it uh, definitely got me there. So uh, I would definitely say check out Loose Ends. Uh, that's going to do it for our comic segment. We're going to rank some comic characters. But before we do that, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Loot Crate. Now, now tell me something about Loot Crate. Will Loot Crate come to my house and make me feel better? Actually, Chris, that sounds like a ridiculous question. And a huge demand that cannot be accomplished for most things. But with Loot Crate, that is actually what it does. It comes to your house and makes you feel better. I just have to go to lootcrate.com slash Ajax and sign up using the coupon code WarwickAjax, and then it's just going to show up, and all, all my troubles will be gone? Let's put it this way. It might build you up, because the February Loot Crate, the theme of it, is build. Gonna build me up, Buttercup? That's right. Each month's Loot Crate is themed... And the February Loot Crate is is billed. It's some of pop culture's most put-together franchises, you might say. And Chris, uh, I know that these franchises are going to make you feel better. Let me list off okay. the, those, those franchises for you. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I am a noted fan. Lego Dimensions. I do quite like Lego Dimensions. Tetris. Love Tetris. Building. And here's a big one for you, Chris. A Batman. Yeah, I kind of like that guy. I gotta say, Matt, if you told me that all I had to do was get $3 off of a new subscription and then those things would show up at my house, I probably would start to feel a little better. In fact, I think I'm starting to feel... No, I'm actually not feeling better yet. I thought I was, but I'm not. So I'm gonna lay down a little bit on my desk, like we're in third grade, and you can tell everyone how they can get involved in this. To, to specify, Loot Crate is a box that comes to your house every month once you sign up, and it's got a collection of four to six totally original items that you can't find anywhere else. Okay? it, it co- Like I said, it costs less than $20 a month to, to get it. You get... All that stuff that I just mentioned in the February box, things from those franchises. There's also a t-shirt and pin in every box. You have until February 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific time to subscribe, or you will not get that February box. That is the cutoff date for the box in question. Here's how you get it. Go to LootCrate.com slash Ajax. Enter the code WarRocketAjax, and you can save $3 off that brand new subscription and get that build box that will build you up, make you feel better and help you. If you're recovering from a cruise, if you're feeling down and just want to feel better or, or if you need any other kind of building, uh, building up that can help you do it. We've told our listeners about loot crate. So let's rank some characters. This is Panel President, the segment where Chris and I take your submitted lists of comic book characters and we rank them from best to worst. 
We elect the best and impeach the worst. So we're going to just jump right in. This list is from Cade Timms. Okay. That's a very uh, Star Wars sounding name, Matt. Yes. Cade doesn't have a theme. Okay. These are just characters that Cade wants to hear our opinions on. And the first one is Wiccan, a.k.a. Asgardian, a.k.a. Demiurge, Billy Kaplan from The Young Avengers. Whoa, he's Demiurge? Yes, he is Demiurge. I like Billy, but I will say, and this might be a controversial statement, and this might be a bad place to start, I do feel like he is my least favorite of the Young Avengers, partly because I don't like the way he casts spells. Yeah, I understand that. Like, I can't move on from the word balloon until I finish reading it. Do you you see what I'm saying, Matt? Yeah, I got it. Billy is good. Billy is good. Billy is, um, like, he is good. Don't get me wrong. I, he is not my favorite member of the Young Avengers, though. Like you. Now, we do have another member of the Young Avengers on the list already. And that is Stature. I think he might go above her. I, I don't want to minimize uh, Wiccan and Hulklings, their role as being kind of a leading edge of queer representation, like, especially for, like, teens. You know, starting in, in Heimberg's uh, and, and Jim Chung's uh, Young Avengers, and then moving, you know, from there. Like, I think that's, like, a really cool thing about him. And I, I don't think he's a bad character. Like, I think you get a lot of really cool stuff with with his relationship to, to Hulkling. I also feel like the connection to Scarlet Witch is just something I, person, like, on a personal level, am never going to care about. And also his code names are very terrible. Wiccan is no good. Asgardian, Asgardian is no good. Asgardian is no good. D- Demiurge, though. Tell me he's the Demiurge now. Okay, so Cassie Lang, who was Stature, now Stinger, uh, is at number 105. Above her dad, Scott Lang... And under Ultra Magnus, where do you think Wiccan goes in in relation to her? Here's the thing. He's good. Like, he's good and I think, you know, arguably important. But, like, I don't – like, I got nothing for him in a lot of ways. Like, if – like, I am far more likely to read, say, uh, a – like, a a Mr. Mixes Pitlick uh, miniseries – than I would be to read to read uh, Wiccan, just based purely on character, all other things being equal. I would be more excited about about Mixie. I would actually probably be more excited about Comet, the Super Horse, but I know that that is a weird... Like, that's that's just me as well. So you're saying that, that you think Wiccan goes below Cassie? Can we rank him above the man whose arms he is? <laughs> That's I mean, that sounds like I'm having a stroke, but it actually makes perfect sense if you've read enough Marvel comics. I mean, that's I mean that's a fair point. I mean, maybe I would put him. I'd probably put him above Guy Gardner, actually, but I don't think I'd put him above Rewind, the Transformer. Okay, okay then I think that's where he will go. That is where Billy Kaplan, Billy Kaplan, who again, is going to end I do up. like. Well, I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna do. Anybody who is a big fan of of that particular pairing in comics might like how our next one ends up a little more. Because next we have Hulkling, 
Theodore Teddy Altman. Uh, I like Hulkling a lot, actually. I like I actually like Hulkling a lot more than I like Wiccan. I like his backstory. I like that all the stuff with him and Mother. Great look. Great look. Like, like so mid-2000s. Like, I mean, he's very much of his time when he first showed, like, and they all are, really. Like, if you look at those Jim Chung uh, Avengers, the Young Avengers, like, they could not look more mid-2000s comics, right? But, I, like, I think I think Hulkling's kind of, like, stuck around uh, with that, you know, like, McKelvey didn't really have to adjust anything, like, though, though he certainly did. And the whole backstory of Hulkling actually being a scroll is surprising, but not out of nowhere, which I think is is what worked best in that original uh, Chiang Heinberg Young Avengers run, like the reveal of Iron Lad really being Kang, and the reveal of Hulkling really being a scroll. Both both those things worked. The thing about Young Avengers, like, in its original format, was that, like, it recreates, like, almost the original Avengers lineup, like, plus, plus, like, Hawkeye, right? Because you've got, you've got, uh, you know, Iron Lad, Patriot, uh, Asgardian, Hulkling, and, and Stature. They really did find ways to twist it in ways that made yeah. sense. Billy might be my least favorite of them, but like the the reveal that he's not like a Thor, you know, that he's he's a kid who knows magic, uh, who likes Thor, and that Hulkling isn't a Hulk; he's a scroll. So of course he's like green and can can turn super huge, uh, and that the Patriot has something something different going on that he's not tied to Steve Rogers; he's tied to Isaiah Bradley, uh, and and like weirdly enough, like I feel like the best of those characters ended up being Kate. Who who really is just the new Hawkeye? <laughs> like, there's not there's not as much of a twist for her. She's just really good at arrows. I mean, other than she has an aristocratic upbringing, as opposed I, to I guess she kind of is the opposite of a carny. That is true. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's her. That's her only twist. But I I really like the twist of Hulkling. Yes. Uh, and, and you know what? Like, he he chooses to be a Hulk. Yes. Which I think is really cool. Yeah. And I also like, again, like the things that I like about Billy, like I like them as a couple. Like I I would never want, like I I never want Billy to like go away. Like I want Hulkling and Wiccan to be together, preferably with a better code name for half of them. Uh, But like, I, I like them as a couple. I think they play off each other really well, but I feel like I would rather read about Hulkling as a solo character. I would too. I think Hulkling is the one is the rock of that relationship is the uh, he's the strong one he's the 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 stable one he makes billy okay and it's not that billy's a bad character for for not being those things but for whatever reason it draws me to hulkling more than wiccan which means that i think hulkling goes certainly goes above cassie lang who we have above her as as i said ultra magnus Starfire, Megatron, Gwen Stacy, Bad Rock, uh, and then Casanova is uh, right above that. I would put Hulkling above some of the characters that we have above there. Like, I think Hulkling's better than Erica Grady, but I don't think he's better than M. Like, I, I think M is my hard ceiling for Hulkling. I would put, I could put Hulkling between M and Boom Boom. I think that's that's good. 
Okay, well, here's the problem with that. Uh, Boom Boom was in Next Wave. Boom Boom was in Next Wave. Yeah, so you see what you see. My problem here is the All Boom right, Boom so was in Next Wave. Between Boom Boom and Spoiler? Ooh, well, see, that's another problem, because, like, Stephanie Brown's been really good lately. She has. And I don't think we can put him above Parker, either. <laughs> I don't know that I want him to go above Todd T. Squirrel. I think he might go between Todd T. Squirrel and Erica Gray. <laughs> I would put him above Todd. I think he's right, gotta then, go above Todd. Alright, then between Todd and Parker. That is where Hulkling will end up. Entering the list at number 97 is Teddy Altman. Next up on Cade's list is Iceman, Bobby Drake. I feel like there is a theme to this list. Maybe there's a, an unspoken theme to the list, perhaps. Bobby, Bobby Drake, Robert Drake, not my least favorite of the original five X-Men, but only because Warren exists. The current incarnation of Iceman is a pretty solid character. But over the years... Over the nearly 60 years that the X-Men have existed, I guess a little more than 50, I feel like Iceman has been one of the most inconsistent characters. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, Iceman in 1984 is not Iceman from 1967, is not Iceman from 1996. You know, like, well, Iceman of 2001 is not Iceman of 2015, you know? Like, the, the Joe Casey... Iceman, who who doesn't ice up and just like you know breaks his the sleeves off his leather jacket because he's only using his arms and looks like Joe Casey and dresses like Joe Casey, is not like Teen Iceman from the past who comes to the future, and and you know gets the the big reveal that he's gay. He's inconsistent, and I think the reason he's inconsistent is because if you go back to that original portrayal of the X Men, if you go back to to the Lee Kirby stuff, generally speaking, I think you've got you know. In terms of good characters, you got Gene, you got Scott, you got Hank, and then you got a real big step, and then you got Bobby and Warren. And I feel like the reason Bobby doesn't work is because he's an he's Spider-Man. Like, he's the young one. He's the quippy one, the, the kind of fun one, you know, the one who's going to turn into an Iceman or a Snowman. So, like, Marvel already has the best version of that guy. It's interesting to see how early they're trying to... Like, to recycle what already works about the Marvel Universe. He's also the Human Torch again. Yeah. Because yeah. How, many, how many times, just like the Human Torch, has Bobby Drake grown up and matured only to revert back to immaturity? Yeah, he was an accountant at one point. Yeah. Like, he went and got a job. In a literal sense, uh, recently, he, he, you know, returned as a teen. But even before that, there were so many... You know, uh, he matured. He matured and learned, and then he reverts back to, you know, young, immature Bobby again. In some ways, I feel like that character inconsistency actually makes a ton of sense. Now that we we know who Iceman is, we know that Bobby has been gay this whole time, which, in a weird retcon kind of way, makes it make sense that he is constantly trying. New identities, new ways to present himself, because he's uncomfortable in his own skin, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's closeted this whole time. Yeah. So, so in a weird way, it all 
it goes from being just indecisiveness about who this character is to actually making a degree of sense with one, you know, character detail emerging. So in that sense, I kind of have to give it to Iceman um, in recent years. Well, but I that think, is a creation of recent years. I think there's something you can say about Bobby, uh, which, you know, Cyclops, right? Like, Scott is the idea of what happens to a person when you've been an X-Man since you were 15. He's he's done nothing with his life but be an X-Man. It's all he is. He's the X-Man. It's uh, something that, that Chad and I played with when we when we wrote about him, you know? Bobby is this weird example of of that same idea taken in a different direction. Like, who's Bobby Drake? Well, I don't know. He's been Iceman since he was 15. He's never really had a chance to do anything else. Like, because since Bobby's part of an ensemble and he's part of a team and he's part of a team that exists in a school and then he goes away right before that, you know, when that team gets popular, he doesn't have Peter Parker's school life. He doesn't have, like... The, the character stuff that you get from, from Spider-Man. So he just has to be Iceman and figure out what it means to be Iceman. There's, like, there's interesting stuff, but I, but I don't know. Like, Bobby doesn't super work for me. Okay, where do you want to rank him? Where are you In that same now? neighborhood we, we've been looking? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're getting a lot of, like, middle-of-the-road uh, uh, characters here. I honestly don't like Iceman as much as I like Hulkling. Or or Todd. I don't. I don't either. I think maybe he could like. I, I, I think I will say this: if you ascribe a sinister motive to Iceman coming out, uh, Iceman being revealed to be gay, then I think the the motive is you know, the the cynical way of looking at it is like, oh, okay, well they're not going to do it with you know the most popular X Men, but like he's an X Men that you can do that with because he's he's you know arguably the least popular of the original five. But I also think if you're going to, you know, ascribe that motive to it, which I, I don't know or think that's the case, it's fair to say that it did give him an interesting hook to him that he never had before. That I think and, he and he's absolutely the one, has now. And he's the one that it makes sense for. Mm. Because he has he has been so many he has tried so many different personas and personalities over the years um it makes that insecurity make sense uh yeah. in a way that it maybe wouldn't with another character so uh i would say maybe between todd and todd and ant-man erica grady yeah. i think that's fair i think number 99 on the list is iceman bobby drake okay uh, next up on Cade's list is Robin Damian Wayne. We've we've ranked a bunch of other Robins, and I know I'm behind, but I do believe Damian breaks the pattern <laughs> that we know yeah. so far. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe Cade uh, has some inside info on what's going to be happening in the pages of Titans coming up. So, how do you think Damian ranks against these other Robins that we have on the list? Damian's fucking great, dude. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Damian asked the question: What if Batman was a shitty kid? That we didn't know we needed the answer to. I do think that Damien only works in certain contexts. I think he certainly works best as Dick's Robin. Because yes, exactly. no other no other Robin is going to bring a contrast with Dick like Damien is. Because the trick of Batman and Robin when it's Damien and Dick is that it's the same dynamic as Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson just the roles are flipped and the mentorship is flipped. It's this, you know, 
smiling, friendly, kind, beautiful person as Batman, and then this just little grumpy bastard as as Robin. And I think that's like really it's really fun. It really works. What he does not work as is Bruce Wayne's Robin. Because when you have the two of them together and there was an attempt to to do that, you have these two grouches <laughs> interacting with each other. And it fundamentally changes Batman when he's out in the field because instead of being, you know, focused almost kind of cruel father figure Batman, he becomes constantly worried Batman. And it sort of breaks Bruce Wayne. It does, uh, but it's also kind of revealing about him. Damien with Bruce is not as good as Damien with Dick. The one thing that you really, really get from it is that it shows you Bruce minus the tragedy. Batman's idea of morality and his construction of morality is so important to the character. And Damien doesn't have that, which makes him really interesting. Because he's, you know, essentially... A tiny Bruce Wayne, like a tiny, he's, you know, Talia's kid too, but he's an assassin. And so he's raised with this completely different morality for as much as he's raised. He doesn't get the moment of realization. He doesn't get the morality. He doesn't get the decision to be Batman in the way that Bruce does. And so you get to see what it would be like if there was someone who was as perfect as, as, as Batman is, who who had that like genetic potential for the eidetic memory for, for being predisposed to athletics for, you know, like he, he is genetically the greatest man on earth, but he doesn't have any of the morality that Bruce does. And I think it's really interesting to see them contrasted, but it's a hard story to tell and a hard one to get into. So do you think that he goes somewhere between Tim Drake and Carrie Kelly? Well, Tim's the best Robin. We know that. He's currently sitting at number 28 on the list. Uh, Carrie Kelly... Carrie's really good. You know, it's a shame she only ever appeared in that one story and never appeared again. Right. I think he does. I think Damien goes above Carrie. Because Damien is good. And I think he... Like, the further away you get him from Bruce... He can still be good while being Robin, you know, and he can still be good while being Bruce's Robin, but you have to separate them. You've got to put Damien in Gotham Academy. You've got to put Damien with the other teen heroes and the Titans. You've got to put Damien somewhere that he's not directly answering to Bruce all the time. He's got to be a contrast. He has he's, to be a he's, he's Like Wolverine, he is, he is best as a foil. Do you think he goes above those two Ninja Turtles? No, I don't. I think he goes below Michelangelo. Above Wildcat. Okay, that's that's where we are putting Damian Wayne. And last on Kate's list, Garfield the Cat. Ooh! Ooh! Ooh, Matt, should we table this until we've experienced the true Garfield fandom this summer? I think we know all we're ever going to know and all we need to know about Garfield the Cat to rank him effectively on this list. First of all, I don't know if there's an upper limit to what we can know about Garfield the Cat. Are you telling me you don't look at Garfield and have questions? I mean, I think I know the basics. I think I know the, the, the P's and Q's of Garfield. Uh, okay, so we've got Hobbs the Tiger at number 70. Yeah. Here's the crucial question. 
Garfield above or below Hobbs? Below. Below Hobbs. I don't know, Matt. I don't know. Who's pulling down more money than Garfield? Who's like and, and remember We are not doing this list by who draws money. <laughs> I need you to remember that we're talking about these characters as a whole. So since we're talking about Garfield, you gotta talk about Garfield the newspaper strip, you gotta talk about Garfield the cartoon, you gotta talk about Nine Lives of Garfield, and most importantly, you gotta talk about Garfield showing up in Aquid that one time. We're not talking about Garfield the cartoon. These are only comic experiences. Okay, fair, fair. But but Aquid, you do have to count. Yes. Here's what I would propose. Okay. Currently, a, include if we include Garfield, we will have 158 items on the list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I propose that we put Garfield in the dead center. So you're saying that we need to put him at, what, like a 79? So our uh, current number 79 is Husk, Paige Guthrie. Uh, our current 78, who would be going just above Garfield, is Ultimate Peter Parker. All right, what if we moved him down a couple levels? I feel like this is appropriate. I think I think our one question is, is he better or worse than Crypto the Superdog? I mean, Matt, if we're going to be honest with each other, Garfield's fucking terrible. I know. So yeah, he goes below Crypto the Superdog. Yeah. Okay, then that's where he goes. He goes right below Crypto the Superdog. I want to point out that you're putting him above Spider Jerusalem. I know. I don't know what else to do with Garfield, to be quite fucking honest. Number 82 on the list, Garfield tips the scales. If, we, if we're actually, like, sticking with Garfield being fucking terrible, like, where would we really put him? <laughs> He's already on the list, man. I, I hit enter. I don't know what, I, like, I, I literally don't know what to do with Garfield. <laughs> Here's a list of characters that you have suggested Garfield is better than. A Superboy. Uh, Connell. Supergirl, Linda Danvers, uh, 90s Supergirl. Uh, Harley Quinn, you think, is worse than Garfield. Monet St. Croix, you think, is worse than Garfield. Hulkling and Wiccan. Gwen Stacy, you think, is not as good as Garfield the Cat. Okay, first of all, first of all, you agreed to it and put it on the list. We've talked about how we're merely the arbiters. (laughs) Two, none of those characters is more iconic than Garfield. Garfield is an iconic. Oh, I'm sorry. Favorite. I'm sorry. Does, is iconic a different measure than draws money? Because <laughs> that's what I'm hearing from you right now, Wilson. All right. Maybe the. I guess the draws money argument does hold up. Uh, I think you right. just didn't want to talk about Garfield for an hour. I mean, you're right about that. He's right, on the list. Okay. Well, well, here's what's fucked up, dude. Here's what's fucked up. John Arbuckle's on this list at number 153. <laughs> well, I mean, we can agree that John is terror. John fucking sucks. Yeah, John's garbage. Okay, here's, here's what I'm going to suggest. I'm going to suggest that you and I, we join hands. Okay? We, we do a magic ritual. We swap the places of Garfield and Extraño. And we move Extraño up by about 80 points. And Garfield goes... 
at number 152. But then I feel like that's way too low for Garfield. I do too. Oh. I do too. God, Garfield's better than Pat. Garfield's better than Pat Garfield's Reynolds. Garfield's better than Pat. Garfield's better than Pat Reynolds. I think that might actually be his spot. I think Garfield it goes is. above it's Pat. Garfield's number 82. All right, so Garfield is staying in his number 82 spot. That is, it is written, so it shall be. All right, uh, our next list comes from Thomas Foss. Who Tom has Foss, long time, long time comics internet guy. This first one, these are crossover characters. Okay, interesting. The first one is Extant Monarch Hawk, Hank Hall. Ugh, ugh, ugh. Scroll to the bottom. Like, if you're going to put him as extant and monarch first before he's Hawk, then yeah, like, he goes, at, like, maybe dead fucking last on the list. I mean, we have to consider him as Hawk before all else, I I think. Uh, Matt, do we need to explain, like, the deal with monarch and extant real quick for everybody? I feel like we kind of do. Monarch was the tyrant of Armageddon 2001. Then he was, like, the... The he, monarch turned into extant during zero hour, and became like the 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 catalyst for zero hour. Yeah, but but monarch was gonna be Captain Adam, and then everybody was like, "Oh, it's Captain Adam," and so at the last minute, they they Russo swerved, and it turned out to be Hawk, which made no fucking sense, and like ruined both characters. I think. I mean, a Hawk is kind of a big bunch of nothing anyway. He's 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 mad. He's angry. He, he's mad, and Dove is not. Like Hawk and Dove was one of the one of the DC teams that just never did anything for me. Yeah, can I be real with you, Matt? Can I yeah. be real? Yes. Hawk and Dove suck, dude. Hawk and Dove are terrible. Like I know the Rob tried his hardest to to get them over, brother. I mean, that's where he, that's where he started. He started on Hawk and Dove. Yeah. But I feel like making an adventure strip, like an adventure comic, an action comic, about like, oh, this character wants to fight, and this character doesn't, those are not going to be equal things to happen in an action comic, because we're, we're showing up to watch fights. It cannot be sustained. Like, the problem is that, like, Hawk, for all of his action, ends up being an asshole, and Dove ends up being someone that you don't really want to read about because he tends to just stand around going like, no, don't do that. Like He he or she, depending on which Dove. He or she. Uh, original yeah. Dove, D- Don, Dio, and Hall. Like, I, I do think you you change the dynamic up. Like a- As is the case with most things in comics, if you, you take a boring male character and make him a woman, you do at least add that layer of interest. But even Don, D-A-W-N, Hall, never really got... Like never really made me interested in them, but but by virtue of the fact that that neither of those hawks ever uh, became mo- fucking monarch or extant, fucking monarch and extant, man. They are they are preferable to Hank Hall, uh, who is just bad all around. Um, which is why I would propose um, putting him pretty low on the list. He goes below Pat, right? Yeah, does he? Yes. Or does he not? Pat's pretty fucking terrible. Well, if he doesn't go below Pat, he he's go right above him because I think I like Nomad more than Nomad turned kind of shitty, but never 
to this degree. I think Hank Hall goes below Hank Henshaw, but above Jericho. Yeah. And we got to move Extraño up uh, sometime soon. Guys, do you want to do it now? Do you want to just go ahead and do it now? Yeah, put Extraño above Garfield. <laughs> you know what? D- done. Done. Right above the best, Garfield. Best fucking 2015 on record. 2016 on record. Let's see. First, Hawk. Let's, let's say Hank Hall. That's Hawk slash Monarch slash Exent. Exent, the uh, supervillain behind a uh, world-altering crisis situation that died in a plane crash. Uh-huh. Remember how he died in a plane crash? I do remember, remember that? that. And then uh, he came back as a white lantern. Oof, I forgot about that. Yep. So we're going to say Extraño. We're just calling an audible here. We're moving him just below Crypto the Superdog. Yep. That's, uh, and that's above where Garfield the Cat. That is where Extraño is going to go. All right, uh, next up on the list from Thomas is Axel Asher, Access. Oh, talk about Access. Talk about Access. Uh, access, a character jointly owned by Marvel and DC, which means we will never see him again. Yep, that means he exists in character limbo, never to be seen. Yeah. He has the ability to travel back and forth between the Marvel and DC universes, Matt. But he's gone. He is done. Also, like, bad design. I think he might be a Tom Grummet design, but he's, like, it's bad. It's really rough. Um, He's got a jacket. You love superheroes and jackets. It's, like, your favorite thing in the world. Where would you rank this jacket that is, like, 90% shoulder pad? It's not bad. It's not a bad jacket. It is weird. The sleeves are weird. Because it's hard to determine if if, like... There are no sleeves to his jacket, or if they're just very tight. It's not the top of the top, but it's not the worst of the worst. Wikipedia lists no creators for access. The creators of the issue in which he first appears, I believe, are Ron Mars and Butch Geis. But, like, it makes perfect sense that access would not have creators. He is IP. He is a storytelling device as a character. Yeah, he should have, he should have a trademark symbol on his chest. He's terrible. <laughs> There's, there's um, yeah, nothing I, to him. There's nothing about him. There's nothing to him. Uh, like, which, the, like, and the thing that sucks is, like, I can't tell if he could have been a cool idea. I I feel like Access should have been from, like, Earth Prime, right? Like, he should have been, like, just a guy who reads comics. Listen to this t- terrible collection of sentences. This is okay. from Wikipedia. <laughs> Access is now a native of both universes, and his duty is to keep them separate. If they start to overlap, the universes will merge again into the Amalgam universe. Access must move from one universe to the other, keeping people from crossing over. He is an IP attorney. Yes, yes. He's legal. He works in legal. That sucks. That sucks. Yeah, also, oh no, more Amalgam comics, which were fucking awesome. Yeah, who uh, better protect us from those? those? Fucking access. I hate him. Fuck off. Access. <laughs> He's a real piece of shit. I like. I was like. Now I'm mad at him. Yeah, me too. Uh, worse than John Arbuckle? No. Maybe a little worse than Jericho. Right below Jericho. Oh, at 154 on the list. Axel Asher, the man called Access. 
All right, next on Tom's list is The Beyonder. That's a complicated one. It is a complicated one. Matt, he's from Beyond. Beyonder is one of those characters who, again, kind of started as a storytelling device as a character. And then... And then transcended it. Well, sort of transcended it. Because, yeah, like, okay. Secret, Secret Wars 1, he's a storytelling device. He's a voice. Secret Wars 2, he becomes a character, but he's still very much like a plot device. And then as it goes on, like, you get a lot of really, really cool stuff out of the Beyonder and the Beyonders and, and, and those ideas. And I think, like, The Beyonder has been a part of some really, really cool stories. Like, e- like even recently. Like, I like a lot of the, like, kind of weird Avengers Beyonder stuff that we were getting, like, maybe five years ago. Like, that stuff's weird, and I like it. But I wouldn't say that as a character, he is a character. <laughs> I mean, he did become human at one, po- at one point, which I think that was in the Illuminati stuff. Uh-huh. He at least developed a little bit of a personality, you know. After all the stuff where he like merged with the Molecule Man and and all kinds of like you know wacky cosmic stuff, we at least at at some point got a little bit of a sense of the Beyonder as a as a character. Um, I you know I I say he's more of a character. He's more of a character than Access. <laughs> I'll say that much. I mean, I think that's I think that's a very fair assessment of the Beyonder. He has a character where, like, if I hear the Beyonder is going to be in something, I am interested. You know, like, I do want to hear more. That doesn't necessarily mean I'll pick him up, like, pick up, you know, Beyonder number one over a lot of other characters. But I do think that he, he's one of the, like, he's one of those characters where you introduce him into a story and immediately you have, like, weird cosmic stakes. That I think uh, can can work and be interesting, like in that way, as long as he's not overused. And in that respect, like I think he's, I think he's probably as good as like a an Adam Warlock, right? That's exactly where I was looking. Is he better or worse than the technician from that Craftsman Bolt-On comic? Definitely not as good as the technician. Then he Definitely goes between good. the technician. Then he goes between the technician and Adam Warlock. Yeah, because we have that, like, 133 is where Beyonder's going, 134, Adam Warlock, 135, The Sentry. Like, all three of those characters, I kind of feel that same way about, you know? I I agree. Next up, we have Penance, Robert Baldwin, who we also have to note is Speedball. Thomas presented this as just Penance, but we have to rank Robert Baldwin, the character, as both Speedball and Penance. Okay, technically, we don't. Yes, we do. No, we don't, because there's a speedball that was never Penance, who exists in the Marvel Universe, because he went to the year 2099 with Squirrel Girl. Well, this is the version that was speedball that became Penance. Okay, well, that guy sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Penance is the embodiment of, like, like everything I hate about superhero comics. Like, in, in all complete honesty... The idea that, you know, super, like, he's literally a self-flagellating superhero. Because, because you know, he used to be happy, but then it all went wrong. Which is, like, my least favorite storytelling trope in, in comics. Plus, he's got a really ugly design. He was in a bunch of stories that, like, 
he never really like played a good part in or or or, or like th- there was no payoff worth penance that we got. I agree with all that. I, I do think we have to weigh that against you know all the the stories that included Speedball before that. I mean, Speedball is good. Like, like Speedball is is one of my less favorite attempts at recreating Spider-Man. I think you'd probably agree with that, right? Sure. I think Speedball deserved better, and I think Speedball was a better character. But I think Penance is one of those things where, like... Because he was Penance for a real long time. I mean, I guess it was from Civil War to Heroic Age, because he becomes, like, Speedball again at Avengers Academy. That's a real long time to be Penance, and that's, like, a role that I think legitimately, like, damages a character, to the point where I'm really glad that there was a, that weird loophole, that weird Robert Kirkman loophole, yeah, where Gravity Darkhawk, who was it, Gravity, we, we just talked about him, I think, Gravity Darkhawk, Sleepwalker, X-23, The Terror, Dagger, like all in twenty ninety nine, and and if I'm being honest, like Speedball is maybe my fourth or fifth favorite new warrior because I mean Night Thrasher is in there, uh, Night Thrasher rules, and and Namorita and uh, Justice. I like all of those more, and then he becomes Penance and he super sucks. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I think Speedball. Speedball is a character that had a lot of potential and I think could have been used really well, but like Penance, like Penance is a fucking iceberg to that guy, you know? Like it's yeah, agreed. Okay, so where do we where do we rank Robbie Baldwin? No, like I think he's better than Access. He's better than Access. I think he might he's like on par with like Maggot and Skin. I get, I would put him below those. Like, do you want to put him below Nomad? I'd put him maybe right above Nomad. Ooh, okay. There he goes then. Robbie Baldwin. Speedball slash penance. Last on Thomas's list is Mandrak the Dark Monitor. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, let's talk about Mandrak the Dark Monitor. Some of the vampire monitor? Uh huh. Dax Novu. <laughs> oh, Matt, where where is that funny pronunciation? Okay, if Penance represents everything I hate about superhero comics, then Mandrak is everything I hate about superhero comics, but on purpose so that he can lose. Oh, Mandrak, Mandrak the Dark Monitor, Matt. Oh boy, oh boy, that guy. Who is a surprisingly uh, important character leading into multiversity, because his son is Nix Uotan. Yes, and he is himself the son of the Monitor. The, 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 look, I like Final Crisis a lot. I will defend Final Crisis, but between you and me, if I can get real, like, the Monitors are so dumb. Like, the Monitors are the worst. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, like... I know that they're, like, a big thing in DC continuity, so that's why they've got to be a thing. But, like, I, if we're going to have to have the monitor and the anti-monitor, 
which, if you don't think Anti-Monitor is the stupidest name for a supervillain that has ever been created, you are wrong, and I'm sorry. But, like, if we're gonna have them, at least we can have Mandrak the Dark Monitor, who is a cosmic vampire who hangs out with evil Superman. He's on purpose terrible. And he he's, the, he's the perfect villain for for Superman Beyond. If you go look at his uh, like comic vine like wiki page, they just give up. Uh, <laughs> at the end of it, it, like under powers and abilities, it's like he could apparently quote eat stories end quote for some reason. <laughs> Mandrak the Dark Monitor, the cosmic vampire who eats stories, and he's gonna he's gonna make a bad Superman. Uh, he's a hoot. You hate him, which makes him the best possible villain for that story. Yes. Also, he's in in the Final Crisis Superman Beyond, which is like fucking rad. And he gets he, he gets killed by having a stake driven through his heart by the Green Lanterns. Like, oh, I mean, he's so fucking goofy. I don't, I don't think he's a particularly versatile character. Like, I, I don't know that. It, he he should or could pop up again, but he is perfect for that one story. Yeah, like I think Mandrak the Dark Monitor. The the longer he stays away, the fonder we're gonna remember him. Yeah. Um, where, okay, where do you think him? he? Where do you think he lands? I mean, he's not better than Prometheus. Hey, you uh, know those weird, like little pixely, like 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 dolls, like the the uh, micro heroes. You know what I'm talking yeah. about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know there's one of Mandrak the Dark Monitor? I did not know that. Yeah, here, Matt, I'm going to send it to you. And I will tell you, this is not a picture of the green M&M. It's a okay, picture I, of the Dark Monitor. I really figured it was going to be a picture of the green M&M. No, but when does the green M&M get to be on this list? Oh, man, that's pretty great. Uh, when there's a comic book about the green M&M. We'll keep that and put that in the show notes. Okay, I think Mandrak is better than... Not as good as Prometheus, maybe not quite as good as Megatron, and probably not as good and versatile or like long lasting a villain as like a coach boss. But maybe between Sinestro and Master Pandemonium? I don't think he goes above Captain Cold, but I would be willing to put him between Captain Cold and King Mob. Okay, I think that's a good spot. Now, what was his uh, real name again? One more time, Matt. Dax Novu. This list is from Valerie Mott. Uh, once again, no theme. And one of them we've already ranked. That's Damian Wayne. The first one on Valerie's list is Jimmy Olsen. The fucking best. He's great. I love him. He is... Matt, he's a character that can only exist... In comic books, in Superman comic books, the war- the universe had to exist around him to create Jimmy Olsen, which is amazing. That is all very true. Uh, I, I don't I don't know how much there needs to be said about Jimmy Olsen. You can go back and read any number of Chris's columns about Jimmy Olsen. That is true. Um, and and we've talked about him a lot on this show. I think it's just up to us to rank him. I think of Jimmy very highly. But I don't know if you'll agree with me when I say that he is, for me, he's top ten material. Okay, our top ten is very difficult to crack. It's a tight top ten. Personally, uh-huh. 
I don't think we can put Jimmy above Lois. I don't think we can put I, like we cannot in good conscience put Jimmy above Lois. I do think we can put him above Jonah because Jonah yeah. ain't holding down no 150 issue ongoing series. That is true. That means we bump Dick Grayson out of the top ten. I know, and I hate to do it. Like that's the only thing that makes me feel like maybe we could put him at eleven instead. But I know in my heart that he's better than J. Jonah Jameson. I know in my soul. All right, I think that's I think that's gonna have to be it. James Bartholomew Jimmy Olsen enters the list at number nine. Next on Valerie's list is another one you're gonna be excited about, Chris. Oh, I love being excited, Matt. KG Beast. Oh, uh, fun fact that came out: several people alerted me to this. Jim Starlin has apparently made more money off KG Beast showing up in Batman v Superman than he did off Thanos showing up in all the Marvel movies, which I am completely uh, okay with. Because that's where yeah. the real action is with the Beast, the KG Beast. I love him. He's great. He's so f- so stupid. He's so stupid. <laughs> He's the best. He's the best. He is so stupid, but also the best. He is, because he's like a giant, like he's a giant wrestler. Like, there was a time between like 88 to 95 where they were like, hey, who should Batman fight? I don't know, fucking wrestlers? And everybody he fights looks like a goddamn pro wrestler. Any villain created in that, you know, eight-year stretch... Looks like a fucking pro wrestler. And KG Beast wears a mask. He's like six foot six. He's ripped. He wears a singlet. Like, it's not just Bane. It's it's everybody. I love that guy. Uh give me give me a ballpark of of where you think he ought to go. He doesn't go above Destro. We we know that for sure. Okay. Uh I'm looking at like because he's not as good as cable either. I don't think he's good as the Ninja Turtles. I do think he's as good as Rorschach. I think he's as good as Walter Kovacs. I mean, he's. I, I'm less conflicted about how readers take him as a character than than Rorschach for sure. I'm fine with putting him. Are you thinking just above Rorschach? I'm thinking. Uh, uh, I'll give take Grant his due, and and put KG Beast between Wildcat and Rorschach at number fifty nine. That's what I'm thinking. All right, I th- I think I can I can live with that. Because here's the thing: you might think that's a lot, but go read All Star Batman, uh, where he talks about creating a floating island, like an, like creating a lawless offshore island where he can hunt Batman for sport for years. He's great. Next up on Valerie's list is Scott Summers, Cyclops, Scotty Boy, Scott. Very fun to write. Surprisingly, I made you, I made you a convertible. Oh. Oh, tell Cyclops I made him a convertible, Matt. Uh, here's the. Do you want to hear the trick to writing Cyclops since I'm not doing it anymore? Okay. If he is addressing more than one person, uh, every sentence has the word people in it. As okay. in, come on, people. We don't have time for this. If he is addressing one person, it has Mr. or Lady. Preferably Mr. I, I also think that he could say team. <laughs> Probably so. We we got to do this, team. Um, thanks for the assist, team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
You know uh, what Cyclops is? You know what Cyclops is? He's your gym coach. He's your gym teacher. Like we were talking last week about the Punisher being a gym teacher. Cyclops already is a gym teacher. He's... I love that his power is that he will just shoot things out of his face. Like, because that's him, right? Like, he is someone who is just, like, it's all there. <laughs> like, it's all just coming out of his face at you all the times. No deviation, straight line from his face. I think the the metaphor of Cyclops is actually great. Mm-hmm. Because Cyclops is this tightly wound guy. If just the smallest thing gets knocked off balance or goes awry, everything comes out. Cyclops is a guy that has to wear a thing on his face to control these beams that come out of his eyes. And if that thing comes off, he has to keep his eyes closed or else uncontrollable power, energy, destructiveness comes out of his eyes. Mm -hmm. Cannot be contained. He is barely containing all those, his feelings. And that's him. That's him. The, the, The metaphor of his power to his personality is about as perfect as it can be. Like the great contrast, right, is him and Wolverine. Because Wolverine, his power, like, you know, he, he, he can literally tear through his own skin and it doesn't matter because it heals right up. Like, you can just, he can just walk into fire and it, it's fine because he can heal right up afterwards. And so he's a dude who's, like, always out. And Cyclops is a guy who's always in. They're really good characters, Matt. I know you know that, but they're really good. Cyclops has always been my least favorite X-Man. Because he's, he's the one who's no fun, you know? But he's so fun to write and, like, makes such a great element in those stories that I knew, I, you know, I knew that before. Like, the joke between me and Jay, Jay Edidin is that both of us have the same favorite and least favorite Cyclops panels. It's just, like, for me, like, the, the no fun aspect won out in my mind. And for Jay, it's, like, it's... It's the thing to love. I do think of the X Men that are in the upper echelon of our list. Uh huh. I would put him at the bottom of those. Like, I would put him below Storm, Wolverine, Rogue, Nightcrawler, Kitty Pride. But I think he probably goes in the top fifty. He goes above Cable. Yeah, I mean, he kind of has to go above Cable. I don't think he goes above Storm and Wolverine. Like, I, I think Storm's probably going to end up being the top X-Men on our list for good reason. I kind of like him better than Nightcrawler, though. I don't want to put... I'm not putting him above Nightcrawler. Okay, okay, okay. I, I'm drawing that line. Where do you think he goes in relation to Roast Beef? Probably below... I, I think the big question for me is he above or below Deadpool. I think he goes... Ooh, that's really tough. Above. I think he goes above Deadpool. I also think he goes above Mr. Fa- Mr. Fantastic and Plastic Man. And lands right below Supergirl. Alright, so right below Supergirl at number 41 on the list. Yep. Cyclops. Scotty Summers. Slim. Slim. 
the last one on Valerie's list is Laura Kenny X23 All New Wolverine. Uh, I have not read any of All New Wolverine, and I really would like to. So I think that's what I want to table. I have caught up with All New Wolverine a little bit, and it is really good. And Laura Kenny really shines in it. So yes, let's table that one. Read what you can of All New Wolverine, and we'll come back to Laura Kenny. All right, sounds good. That's gonna do it for the lists that we have on this uh, panel president special. If you would like to send us a panel president list, you can do so by emailing us at warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. You can also send us every story ever list there. You can send us listener questions. If you just want to send us an email just to say hi, you can do that. And let us know if you want to sponsor the show also at that email address. Be sure to check out our website, which is warrocketajax.com. That is where you can stream the show, download the show, leave comments, or uh, read the panel president and every story ever lists. Also, check us out on iTunes. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. The more positive reviews we have on iTunes, the more we are featured there, which is good. We haven't actually gotten any reviews in a while, so if you could do us the favor of leaving us a review, that would be great. Now we've reached the part of the show where we tell you all the different places you can find us on the internet. For me, you just gotta have to go to mattdwilson.net. That's all you have to do. That is where you can find links to all my stuff. Chris, where can people find your stuff? Uh, everybody can find my stuff by heading over to the-isb.com. That's I-S-B, uh, as in I Saw Batman. It's not really what it stands for, but it'll work. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter as the ISB or on Tumblr as the ISB. And hey, uh, I have a new comic that I co-wrote with Chad coming out uh, in March. Uh, it's going to be the Guardians of the Galaxy Monsters Unleashed one-shot. It's going to be really fun. It's a, a Rocket and Groot-centric story. So if you like those two, you should get it. Uh, David Baldion did the artwork, and it is fantastic. He killed it. It's going to be super amazing. Uh, but yeah, check that out. And again, links to everything are going to be found at the-isb.com. That does it for uh, War Rocket Ajax number 337. 338. 338. 338. You weren't here for 337, so so that makes sense. Before we leave, I do want to do one quick update. Yes. Uh, because people have been asking me where we stand on donations to care leading to us reading Holy Terror for Every Story Ever. We, have, we currently are at a total of $115 in donations to care. Which is great. That That is a lot of money going to, to an organization that we want to support, uh, and we appreciate that. But it also leaves us a pretty good distance away from having to read Holy Terror, because Chris, I think we said we, were, we had a goal of 500. So we are still accepting uh, receipts for donations to uh, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, uh, you can send those receipts to warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, once we reach that goal, we will read that comic. And we still have a pretty good ways to go to get there. Yeah, and you can make those donations at cair.com. Uh, and you can just forward us the receipts or screen count the receipts and send them to us. And uh, we will add them to the total. Uh, and then you get to do something good, we get to do something good, and then we have to read something that I suspect we will not enjoy. 
So everyone is a winner. Uh, we really appreciate everyone. I'm for something that we've only mentioned a couple times on the show. I am really uh, surprised and heartened uh, by that amount of donations to care. So thank you to everyone and uh, keep it going. We're gonna we're gonna make this thing happen. I think that's our that's one of our projects for this year. So check out cair.com and uh, make a donation. And I think that's gonna wrap us up for this episode. Uh, Harrison says hi. Once Harrison starts meowing, it's time to time to wrap up. Time to mosey on that old dusty trail. Chris, I'm I'm glad you're back from the high seas. If you are a Patreon supporter who gets bonus content, you'll hear more about Chris's trip uh, in the very near future. Uh, but until then, everybody, thanks for listening. Yeah. Flash.